morning, everyone, and happy Sabbath. Let's go ahead and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, again, I thank you so much that we have the opportunity to, to meet here openly, Lord, and to learn more about you. I ask now that you bless the words that I say, Lord, that it be your words and not my own. I thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. Amen. He sat there. He was thinking about the events of the last couple days. And although he should have felt joy and excitement, he felt nothing but fear, anxiety, and sadness. In fact, one could argue that he was probably depressed. And as he sat there, his back to a tree, he asked that he might die. In fact, despite all the successes in his life, despite all that he had done, all the ways that God had used him, all the ways that he'd worked for God, all the people he had touched in his lifetime, at this moment, all he could see was his greatest failure, what he thought was his greatest failure. And it was enveloping him to the point where death really seemed like the only logical conclusion. And so he prays and he says, Take my life, for I am no better than those who lived before me. Take my life. What had gone so wrong that this prophet of God <clears throat> sat there, sucked into, shall I say, the depths of despair, and now he longed to die? Well, one of the problems was that he had just experienced something spectacular, and the events of which had not necessarily gone his way. The results, sorry, not the events. The results had not gone his way. See, the land of Israel had been plagued by the worship of Baal. Baal was a pagan god. He was depicted with a lightning bolt in one hand and a club in the other. He was the god of storms, of wind, of rain, of clouds and thunder. His co-god, so to speak, was Asherah, who was always portrayed as the mother of the gods, the wife of Baal. And the worship of these two in particular had ravaged the northern kingdom of Israel. See, Ahab had become king, and he took for himself a wife by the name of Jezebel. And she was from the land of the Sidonians. And so along with, you know, bringing in a wife, he also brought in her gods. And this man with seemingly no backbone erected an altar for Baal, and in Samaria, he placed a sacred pole for the worship of Asherah. So Elijah goes and he shows up, and I know most of you know this story, but Elijah shows up and he says to Ahab, it's not going to rain for three years. And this was great in a way because here Baal, the god of the clouds, the god of storms, was suddenly not producing rain. The very thing that he was worshipped for producing was not happening for three years. There was a drought. And at the end of three years, Elijah calls together all of the 400 prof 450 prophets of Baal and all the 450 prophets of Asherah, and he says, we're going to do a test. And as the story goes, the prophets of Baal are of Asherah and Baal. They go around the altars and they call for fire. And what happens? 
nothing happens. And Elijah kind of pokes fun at them a bit, and still nothing happens. And then the Bible says that Elijah goes up and he rebuilds the altar of the Lord, because it had been just left. He rebuilds it. And then he calls for water, and he, he builds a, a moat around it and fills it full of water. And he prays, and what happens? Fire comes down from heaven. <laughs> now Israel knows who God is, right? They have just seen it firsthand, what God can do. And then Elijah says it's going to rain, and it rains after three long years. Baal has surely been defeated. What a day, what a victory. But now Elijah is depressed and wanting to die. After all that, he's saying he's no better than those who lived before him. God, just please let me die. After all that, something else had happened though. See, Ahab goes home and he tells Jezebel what has just happened that day. And Jezebel is furious and she says, you know what? She sends a messenger to Elijah and she says, I want your head essentially. Tomorrow at this time, I want you dead. And the Bible says Elijah is afraid. Go with me to 1 Kings 19, verse 3. 1 Kings 19, verse 3. It says, And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. So there he goes running for his life. Here he was, having just completed such a great victory for God. And now he's scared to death, running away, depressed, and wanting to die. And the interesting thing about this story is he was human. Sometimes it's easy to read the stories in the Bible and think of the people as more than human, as somehow perfect. You know, they lived long ago. They had this great relationship with God. I mean, here they are. Their stories are in the Bible. We read about them. We learn important lessons from them. But he was human. Here he is curled up in a ball, afraid for his life. See, we live in a society where we have Facebook and social media everywhere. These aren't necessarily bad things, but it becomes easy for people to paint pictures of a perfect life. We, we go on Facebook, for example, and we might look at someone's new house that they're building, or we might say, wow, if only my life measured up to that. We look at the pictures of their kids and we go, did their kids ever do anything wrong? Are they ever dirty? I mean, how are they so perfect? Or we look at the food people post on Facebook and we're like, wow, if I took a picture of the food I was eating, it would not look that good. There's a spectacular. Or, wow, look, they just came back from another vacation. What a life they must have. <laughs> but the Bible doesn't Facebook up people. It doesn't show just the good side of people. It shows the humanity of those serving God. And most importantly, it serves a God who works with and through humanity. And here was one of the greatest prophets of God, curled up next to a broom tree, it says, asking God to please just end his life. 
So God comes to Elijah and he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And in 1 Kings 19, verse 10, Elijah says, So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. And they seek to take my life. I'm alone. After all I've done for you, God, here I am sitting here alone. And to make things worse, they want to kill me. Have you ever felt depressed? Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever wondered why God has led you to do what you're doing for him? Only to feel defeated at times. Where you're left curled up on your bed saying, Okay, God, I don't see the point to this anymore. I don't know where, you're, where, you, where you are anymore. I can't see. Here I've been serving you, trying to live a good life. And to what end? Just last Sunday I was talking to a, a lady in the Kingston church and she was telling me her grandson he goes to public school he's 10 years old and he comes home at night and he says Nana I'm the only one that believes in God at my school I feel alone I feel weird he knows what it's like and sometimes in our world today we feel alone we might feel like we're the only ones And for poor Elijah at this moment, he felt alone and he felt forsaken. And to make things worse, a great victory had just taken place. And you might be saying, okay, well, how is that? How's that any worse? Because I can only imagine that if I were him, I would have thought, okay, the people have just experienced God working in a mighty way. They have just seen the fire come down from heaven. And there's still not a great reform. And Jezebel still wants my head. What's going on here? Despite all that. And so he runs away scared. And in our own lives, we serve God faithfully. And perhaps something happens and we, t- we say, okay, now finally people are going to see God working. And in the end, maybe nobody cares. You know, maybe you offer Bible studies to people and they just, they don't, they don't seem to care. And you're sitting there going, okay, God, I don't understand. I don't understand what's happening. And it's easy to become discouraged like Elijah. But at this point in Elijah's story, he was going his own way. He was on his own journey. This was not a place where God wanted him to be. Thus God asks him, Elijah, what are you doing here? He was supposed to have stayed in Israel. Despite what Jezebel had said, God had protected him and led him in the past, and God would have done so again. So often it becomes too easy for us to merely pack up and run when God wants us to stay and fight. And I don't mean fight in a literal meaning. And I can't even explain to you what I mean, because each one of you are going through your own battles and in your own way. And God is leading in your own lives. Don't give up. God can do something great even when we feel at our lowest. Even when we feel we have given all we can in life, when we feel used, when we feel scared, when we feel anxious, when we feel depressed, when we feel alone, God can use that. Another great lesson from this story is the fact that even though Elijah ran when he should have stayed, 
Even though Elijah was depressed and wanted to die, even though Elijah wanted to merely give up and saw himself as alone, God dealt tenderly and lovingly with him, sending angels to feed him when he was too depressed and upset to get up and eat for himself. That's the kind of God we serve. And as a result, something else great happened. Elijah gets up. He travels for 40 more days. And he arrives at Mount Horeb and he sits in a cave. Now this is the same mountain where Moses often conversed with God. And it's like in this journey of depression, it was as though he was trying hard to find God through his pain. And sometimes as mothers or fathers or grandparents, aunts, uncles, leaders in the church, sometimes maybe we get to a point in our lives where we say, okay, God, I need to reconnect with you. Things are getting a little fuzzy. I need to reconnect with you. And so God says to Elijah, he says, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by in 1 Kings 19, verse 11. And so Elijah, standing in the cave, watches. And the Bible says, A great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice still small voice and then God again says Elijah what are you doing here God had revealed himself to Elijah in a very strange way to us reading this today we have our New Testament glasses on we have our spirit of prophecy glasses on we have our historical lenses on and we look back on the story and we go okay we understand What's going on here? But to Elijah that day, God had revealed himself in a very unique way, as a still, small voice. I had a professor in university who really brought this out. He taught a course on the Old Testament, and he told us something interesting about this story. He said that this revealing, that of a still, small voice, is that so often before, God had revealed himself with lightning and thunder. For example, the time when God revealed himself to the Israelites on Mount Sinai, and he'd given them the Ten Commandments. And there's a progression of God revealing himself to his people throughout the Old Testament in a way that they would understand, because he reached them where they were at and with their understanding of who a God was. See, in their minds, they'd been so long in Egypt, and they'd been, they had these other nations around them, such as the Canaanites and such. And their gods were loud, and they were boisterous, and they often depicted themselves with thunder and lightning. And in an attempt to reach them, God used methods that they would understand. That's why when we look at it, we're like, this doesn't make sense. Because praise God, he reaches us where we're at. And here Elijah has just been given a great revelation about God. God is not one of those other gods, just as he had proved to Israel with the stopping of the rain, where they believed Baal did that. And here God is showing himself to Elijah, and he says, this isn't me God doesn't necessarily always reveal himself in a loud and showy way, like the display on Mount Carmel just a month and a half before. Here he was, preparing Israel, or at least trying to prepare Israel, for the coming of a Messiah that wouldn't be showy. They wouldn't come with lightning and thunder and great rumblings, but would instead be born in a stable. He would be meek and humble. 
humble enough to be placed on a cross and die for humanity. This is who God is. Yes, he was also in the lightning and the thunder before, but it was not always going to be a show. It was not always going to be about the big display. And in our own lives, it's easy to see God working when everything seems to be going our way. Maybe we've had an evangelistic series at our church and we watch people come in and we're like, praise God, we see God working. But then things slow down. What about those moments where we feel alone, where we feel anxious, where we feel depressed, where we feel scared? Is God still working? Absolutely, God is still there. He just asks that we don't run away from it. Let him use that scary situation. Let him use those feelings of loneliness. Let him use that feeling of utter failure for his glory. But for now, as we're weighted down with the cares of the world, the feelings of loneliness and despair, don't give up. Stay and fight. And so God asks Elijah, and he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And again, Elijah responds, and he says, God, I've been very zealous for the Lord, God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. It's the same answer all over again. God, I'm still scared. I'm still scared. And God says, Go, (laughs) return your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, I want you to anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elijah, the son of Shephat, of Abel, Mahola, you shall anoint as a prophet in your place. Go back, you still have a post to fill. You still have stuff to do. Get back out there. Israel still needs you. I still have important lessons to show. And God still used Elijah for quite a while to train a new guy and to try to get through to Israel. When we're feeling lonely and despair, don't give up. God has a plan for each and every one of us. There was a man by the name of John Christostom. And he, he decided that he wanted to know God better. So he, just, he thought by becoming a hermit he could do so. So he ran away to the mountains near Antioch in A.D. 373, so a while ago. And in his time of isolation, he learned that the God was always by his side. And this was an important lesson that he would hold on to dear later in life. But his time as a hermit was cut short because he got quite sick. So he goes back. And in AD 398, he was appointed the Patriarch of Constantinople, where his zeal for reform antagonized or got this Empress Eudoxia mad at him. And so she has him exiled. He comes back again a little bit later, and he's, he's again the patriarch of this place. And again, this lady gets mad at him because he, he wants reform, and she sends him away again. And when he was asked about his persecution, he responded like this. He said, what can I fear? Will it be death? But you know that Christ is my life, and that I shall gain by death. Will it be exile? But the earth and all its fullness are the Lord's. Poverty I do not fear. Riches I do not sigh for. And from death I do not shrink. There may be times in our lives where we do feel alone. It's natural. It's human. 
where we feel scared, where we feel depressed. And that's okay. Let God use that for his glory. We serve a God who works with us where we're at, and he longs to help us. And I want you to remember this verse. It was our scripture reading today. Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. The Lord is the one who is going ahead of you. He will be with you. He won't abandon you or leave you. So don't be afraid or terrified. We are never alone. Amen.